I want to thank you uh, just for your, your patience uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, the Lord uh, has been uh, dealing with me heavily uh, in, in this, this series that we've done out of 2 Timothy. Uh, if you, I don't know if you remember, but we kind of just transitioned out of a Joseph uh, series in Genesis and into 2 Timothy. And it was just one of those moments where I felt like the Lord uh, just kind of just brought the word to life. And it was just beyond abundantly obvious that that this was the, the heart of, of what we needed to focus on in these kind of what I would classify as turbulent times in our culture. Uh, the heart of, of the letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, the overall burden of, of the letter to Timothy is one of, of encouragement, but one of calling Timothy and the church of Ephesus, which is where Timothy was pastoring, to stand up for and be bold for and even ready to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in the church of Ephesus, that there was an explosion, just a revival when the gospel showed up. When Jesus started being preached, uh, there were dozens and then hundreds and then thousands and maybe even tens of thousands of people started to follow Jesus very quickly in the church of Ephesus to the point uh, that Acts tells us uh, that there were deep economic issues because of the significant uh, pagan rituals and, and idolatry that existed in Ephesus. So the, the, the two of the most powerful economic lines to Ephesus were, was pagan idolatry. These metal workers, these blacksmiths would be making these idols um, and, and, and people would buy them on a daily basis to worship with them, give them as gifts. And there were all kinds of different things around this. And the second was basically just what we would call prostitution. It was just pagan priestesses and priests giving themselves for money. Uh, and these were two significant sources of income for the city of Ephesus. And when thousands of people started following Jesus, when, when, when they showed up and started preaching the gospel and preaching the name of Christ and, and started uh, discipling them and teaching them and leading them down a path of righteousness. There were so many people who left uh, uh, these pagan rituals and the, this pagan theology, this pagan world behind uh, so fast that there was just a, 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 imagine just a stock market crash kind of took place in Ephesus and this caused a lot of riots uh, in, the, in, in, in and around Ephesus. And so uh, the, the end result of this is they had revival and they had riots, but but what was this this very quick moving, fast moving kind of revival kind of came to a quick end uh, when when the city kind of turned on the church, and we don't know exactly how long this was, uh, but what we do know is that right here at the, at the writing of this letter, uh, as the Spirit of God was inspiring Paul to write Timothy this letter, we know that the pressure from the culture was significantly weighing down on the church of Jesus Christ in Ephesus and even on its leader, Timothy, and on the other leadership, that there were that there were the pressure from the culture to, to stop lifting up the name of Jesus, to stop teaching about sin, to stop leading people down a path of righteousness was incredibly heavy and incredibly powerful to the point Paul even had to, at the beginning of the letter, we talked about it last week, Paul even had to basically encourage Timothy to be bold. It seems that even Timothy was struggling on some level to be just fully bold and fully 
open and not backing down. And so this is kind of the, the overall heart, the burden of the, of the letter, the burden of the book is to be bold for Christ despite the pressure that you've got to love the culture, but you can never compromise with the culture. And so this is the, the overarching heart and, and the encouragement that we see. And so what I, I, I want to end on this same thought process near the end of, of 2 Timothy and this message, I'm not going to finish the message today. We're going to hit one point. I tried to uh, break it into two pieces, one now and one next week, but I think it's probably going to wind up being three. But I, I want to I hit something uh, that, that is a very dramatic statement that Paul makes to Tim, Timothy in, in chapter four, uh, and, it, and it hit me different this week. It hit me different as I was studying for this and I was, as I was preparing for this, so much so that even this morning, it just created a, a heaviness in my heart. And I, and I felt like the Lord just really wanted us to just take our time uh, with this scripture and, and, and with the reasonings behind this scripture and, and to just let it pierce our hearts where it needs to pierce our hearts. And so I wanna, I wanna read the second Timothy uh, chapter four, starting with verse one. It says, in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So I wanna, I wanna be really clear here. This is Paul making a very dramatic statement. This is Paul, I mean, I, I, we kind of put, we put the chapter breaks. It's not like Paul was like, I'm gonna write chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. Does that make sense? Like he's just writing a letter, inspired by the Spirit of God, writing a letter to Timothy. And he pauses in the middle of this letter and, and all the reasonings why he's about to give this charge is in three and we're gonna go back through that. But he, he's, he's making a pretty dramatic statement. He's saying, I, I need you to understand the next thing I'm about to tell you, I'm not just telling it to you. It's not just a piece of advice, Timothy. He's saying, I'm, I'm charging you with this thing that I'm about to say to you in the presence of God, in the presence of the creator of the universe, and in the presence of our savior, Jesus Christ, not only the creator of the universe and not only our savior, but the one who will judge the living and the dead. So he says, in, in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, with the, the thought process and the reality that it's Jesus who will judge the living and dead, the ultimate judge, the ultimate one who will administer justice uh, on this earth. And he goes, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. So he's basically just the, the two or three most, the greatest ideas uh, in the world. He's saying, I'm bringing all those into the, the idea in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, in the presence of the creator of the universe and the savior of the world, in the presence and the thought of the idea of him judging the living and the dead and the kingdom and eternity and his appearing and all of the most important things that we could ever come with. In one sentence, Paul says, I'm bringing all that here. And he goes, and, and in, in light of all of that, I'm charging you with this. I'm, 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 I'm calling you to this. I'm appointing you to this one very specific thing. So what he's about to say is a big deal. What he's about to say is, is vitally important, Paul believes. And this is what he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. You guys bored? Did you see that coming? Did you think it was gonna be something? What'd you think it was gonna be? Preach the word. It, this hit me 
This hit me in a unique way. Why did Paul make such a big deal about something that should be so obvious? Why did Paul make such a big deal? And why did, why did he have to bring the presence of God and the presence of Jesus and the thought of judgment and the thought of his appearing and the thought of the kingdom and the thought of eternity? Why did, why did Paul have to make this dramatic moment to bring all of this in simply to tell a preacher to preach the word of God? Why did he have to be so dramatic about it? Ultimately, this is what he, he, he goes through chapter three and he gives us a lot of the reasons, but ultimately he's got to make this big of a deal about it because it's going to be very hard uh, for Timothy to continue to preach the word. And that through seasons and as time goes on, it's going to be very hard for preachers to preach the word of God, that there's going to be pressures for us not to preach the word of God. That somewhere along the lines, it's going to become so difficult or it's going to become so abnormal for preachers to preach the word of God that God saw fit to make sure that we, in the, in the living and active word of God, that we had a reminder that the preachers of the word of God are supposed to do what? Preach the word of God. That this is the charge, that this for Paul, this is what was so important for Paul. This is what he says, listen, if we have the church of Jesus Christ, then we have to have preachers preaching the word of God. If we have every other programming in the history of the world, but we don't have somebody preaching the word of God, it's all for naught. If we have buildings and we have big steeples and we've got pews and we've got the music and we've got sounds and we've got outreach and we've got everybody doing good deeds and we've got everything in the whole world going on, but we don't have a preacher preaching the word of God, then everything is for naught. It's all worthless. It's nothing, it's religion at best. That we have to have preachers who preach the word of God. And so he brings this charge, and I want you to hang on to this because we're gonna go back through chapter three and we're gonna see the reasons why this is so important. So I want you to hold on to this. But this is what he says, he goes, preach the word. And this is a charge to Timothy, this is a charge to every, every preacher, every pastor, every leader, preach the word of God. Also be prepared in season and out of season. Be prepared with the word of God. Study, put the time in, study the word of God, pray. This was so important to Peter uh, that, that when, when uh, there was some issues in the book of Acts early on with some outreach ministries uh, feeding some widows, there was, a, there was a, uh, an issue uh, dealing with uh, that, that a certain group of people weren't getting fed the right way in the right amount and they were being disowned. And he said, I can't deal with this. I've got to give my time to prayer and to the word of God. So we need to raise up other leaders who can handle this. So this is one of the first times that we see the, the preacher go, listen, there's a lot of good things that we can spend our time doing but the one who's proclaiming the word has got to be prepared in season and out of season. Now, we don't know exactly what in season and out of season means, but what we do know is no matter what the actual context was that Paul was discussing, in and out is your only two options. His point was, as a preacher and a man of God, you have to be ready to preach the word of God in season and out of season, preach it whether you feel like preaching or not. Somebody's gotta be ready to preach the word of God any given day and every given week because this is how vital it is. He goes on to say, this is what preaching the word of God will do in your life. Now, I know that this next one's not for you, it's for the person next to you, but this is what it says, correct. Now, I'm going I'm to just tell you something. I know that's upsetting. I know it's hard to hear, but you have issues. Amen? Amen. Can we just find, can we find just a little bit of humility and go, you're right. I do. 
I have a lot of issues. The word correct means that there's already something going on in your life, either a thought process uh, or an action or a deed or a belief, something that's already wrong and the correction of the word of God will come alongside you, point out the error that is within you and then lead you down a better path, that that's what correction is, that there's already something going wrong in your life, there's already something wrong that you believe, there's already a wrong mindset, wrong action, wrong deed, there's a sin that you maybe don't think is a sin or there's something that's going in the word of God, if studied and prepared and preached well will bring correction into your life and lead you down a better path. The second one, he says, is, is rebuke. And I think we have a little bit of a misconception about rebuke. The overall arching general theme of the word rebuke is to give you a warning, uh, to, to, to bring a warning into your life that will prevent something from going horribly wrong. That the rebuke is to come in to teach and to share the knowledge of God and to share the wisdom of God and to share the word of God and to teach the word of God that will give you overarching warnings so that you will know if you go down this path, X will happen. Correction and rebuke. And the third one, and this is the, this is the nicer one, this is the one everybody likes, encouragement. Do you know what's wrong, I think, with my generation is we don't want any correction, we just want all encouragement. <laughs> and it's y'all's fault because you raised us to be this way. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct, rebuke, and encourage. To come alongside you and to lift you up. There is no greater hope in this world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more encouraging, nothing more lifting up than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have with it truth, grace, hope. You have with it the loving kindness of God. You have, you have everything that you need to pick you up in this life, pick you up in this world, to encourage you to keep moving, to encourage you to keep going, chasing after God, chasing after Christ. There's nothing more encouraging than the gospel of Jesus Christ and then the word of God. And the charge here is that we will preach the word, we'll be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And this great patience, this is, this is you teach it and you teach it and you teach it and you teach it and you have the same patience with the people of God as God has with you. That, 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 there is a, that you teach it, you lay it out. Nobody's gonna get it on day one. Everybody's gonna screw up. Everybody's gonna have mess ups. We can't be like the Pharisees where we lay things out and then we condemn and then we destroy and then we crucify people who make mistakes and, and, and struggle in life and go on because we all struggle in life. We all get up and fall down, amen? So we have to teach with great patience. And then we have to give careful instruction. And I'm only gonna share a little bit on this, but this is so important to me, this careful instruction. It's so important to me because growing up, the little church experience I had, and especially when I got saved and I was just trying to find churches and be involved in the church and go through, what I, what I saw was a lot of people screaming behavioral management statements at me 
and, and saying things. When I was like, and, and, and I don't know if you grew up and you, if you went to any student ministry or any youth groups, but I went to youth groups and this, I can sum up every message I heard for about two years in student ministry right here and right now. Don't have sex in the back of cars. Don't drink, don't smoke. That was about it. I always was like, is that the only place to do that? I didn't, that's all I ever heard. And the Bible doesn't say that drinking alcohol is a sin. What are you supposed to do with that? I got kicked out. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. And, 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 I, and what, about, what about all the other things? I went to a, I went to a little conference, and I remember this. This guy was shouting uh, about me to, to, I need to walk by the Spirit. I need to walk by the Spirit. I need to walk by the Spirit. You need to walk by the Spirit. You got to walk by the Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. 50 minutes of just that. And I want to be like, bro, what the heck does that mean? What do you, what, how do you, what, how do you? And the thing is, I realize is, is that there's so, what we do is there's so many teachers, they, they take the word of God and they call it the gospel, but they're really just peach, uh, preaching a behavioral management type of idea where they just shout at you to do things, but there's no empowerment or careful instruction to teach you the deep secret seated things of God to lead you down a path. They just tell you to be holy, but they don't, there's no careful instruction to teach you what that is and how, what does that look like and, and do we play a part in that and, and, and how do we go through it? That there's just a lot of, they, they, they take a lot of statements and they bumble them up and their overarching message to you is just do better, be better, get better, and life goes on. That's not preaching. That's, not, that, that, that's religion at best. That the heart of what we're supposed to do, the heart of what preachers are supposed to do is to preach the living word of God, the truth of God, be prepared, study, pray, uh, understand the context, understand the depth, dwell in it, and then correct, rebuke, reproach with great patience and true, genuine, careful instruction. That that's the heart of it. That that's the heart of what we do. And that's the promise of what I will do. That's the promise. That's my promise to you. I, I'm, I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna disappoint you. I'm gonna fail you because I'm not Jesus. Uh, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna have bad days. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have days when maybe I gotta stand on this stage and apologize. I'm gonna make bad decisions. I'm not always gonna lead 100% well. But my promise to you is this, is that I will always preach the word of God. That I will always, and with every part of my fiber, my being, I will always be prepared in season, out of season. I'll do everything in my power to let the messages of God correct, rebuke, and encourage you and to build you up and to equip you to be able to do the work of the ministry and to live the life that God's called you to live. I'll do everything in my power to preach the word of God with great patience and careful instruction. That's my promise to you. Now, this is the heart, and I believe everything I just said is so important, and it's so true, and it's so real, and I mean it. But you're probably a little bored in this message because it's pretty obvious that what Paul was preaching right there was to a preacher, and you don't feel like you're a preacher, and so you're like, that sounds good, and I like that, and I like that Jordan sees all excited about this little message. He's preaching to himself. It's so good but when are we gonna go eat some chicken? But I wanna tell you why really fast. I wanna tell you why Paul takes the time to make such a dramatic statement in such a dramatic moment. 
He starts in, in, in chapter three, leading up to this moment we just read in chapter four. And he gives six reasons why preachers have to preach the word of God. We're only gonna get to two, maybe three this morning, the negative ones, and then there's some positive ones we'll get to next week. This is what he says, starting in, in, in 2 Timothy 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. There will be terrible times in the last days. There will be difficult seasons. You could take that word that's translated as terrible and difficult, and another word that you could translate that word to is the word savage. If that will bring that word to life. Because there's, you know, I'm, I'm having a difficult day. That's different than I'm having a savage day. That that's what the word, the, 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 the dramaticness of it, that's, it says literally, if you, you could easily and truthfully and be okay to do this, that in the last days there will be savage seasons. The difficulty will be unparalleled. What I believe is, is that, and what the Bible seems to teach is that the last days truly started at the ascension of Christ. And that, and as we go 2,000 years now into the, the last days, into the last seasons of the earth, that the closer you get to the coming of Christ, the worse things will be. In fact, there's other language later on in chapter three where he says things are just gonna go from bad to worse. And he says, this is, this is the reason why uh, we have to preach the word of God is because it's gonna be very, 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 very difficult, not just to be a follower of Christ, but it is gonna be very, very, very difficult to just be alive in this world because the more that time goes on, the more sin will break down society and there will be nothing but chaos and destruction around every corner. And I don't know uh, if you've been alive the last few years uh, but if we could just look around the world right now, do we see that things have gotten savage, that things have gotten difficult? If you've sat through an eighth grade history class and you've studied just, just the history of the last hundred years and you've seen what humanity is capable of with the genocides and the world wars uh, and just the craziness uh, that has taken place even just la in the last hundred years with all of our technology and all of our advancements uh, and, and all, the, all that that seemed to do is to just kind of speed up our ability to kind of do evil. Like things haven't changed, things have gotten significantly worse. That if you go through and you look at the things that nobody's talking about, do you know why I find a struggle with things that we see right now, like on the news, is because we have all this focus on a few things that don't really matter, while there are rampant evil chaos happening all over the world, things that we never discuss and never talk about. Like the fact that pedophilia is on a significant rise like the fact that murder is on the rise, like the fact that sex trafficking is dominating our society and our world. The fact that divorce is through the roof. The fact that there's more fatherless homes right now in our country than there ever has been. That divorce rates through the roof. That life is chaotic, that there is absolute bloodthirsty, genocidal maniacs literally ruling nations right now as we live and speak and live our life and do our thing. And then what the Bible teaches and, and what we've seen is that as, as more society moves on, 
All of these things that we see, the more difficult it will get, the more stressful it will get, the more tension that there will be, the harder it will be to simply live, let alone be a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you guys still bored? I mean, the heart of what Paul's setting up for is he's saying, as time goes on, as human society progresses, with all of their intellect, he predicted through the power of the Spirit of God, he predicted something that we, we have said otherwise. With all of the intellect and all the technological advancement and all of the things that we have been able to provide ourselves, society has not gotten better, it's gotten worse. He says part of the reason he moves on, that the first reason we have to preach the word of God is because there's savage seasons, savage times, difficult times, terrible times. He moves on to say this, and this is the heart of, of, of this second point. He says that there will be people who will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents. The reason that's such a big one is because if it hit the heart of what that the, behind that mean is that if you're disobedient uh, as a child to your parents, that you already have that significant rebellious mindset, that you're already kind of the king or queen of your little world and not even your parents will tell you what to do, then there'll be zero respect or zero reverence for any other authority for the rest of your life, let alone God. So it's a significant, that's a, because everybody's like all these crazy things and then just like disobedient. No, it's significant. It's a significant thing. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So I, I, I put all these in, and I, I just want to teach through these just for a minute. I put all these in, in, in the little categories. And the reason I did this is I want you to understand something, that there are many lists given of sins and sinful actions and deeds and wickedness and evil all throughout the New Testament. Things that the culture will struggle with, things that the world will struggle with, things that we will struggle with. There's all kinds of, of things that, that are listed out for various reasons, usually in the context of the letter that he's writing or, or the, the heart behind the message he's trying to make. And so the, what he says here, that these things are not random. That, that, that this is exactly what he was, he's trying to make an overarching point because if you go back through and you read through these things and I'm about to just give a, a quick lesson through it, that none of these things are behavioral. None of these things are actionable sins. None of these things are deeds. These are all mindsets and, and kind of soul uh, condition. And so uh, he's, he's making an overall point here. He's arriving at something very specific. And if we can really just capture the, the foundational thought behind why he's choosing these things and writing these things, it will really maybe come to life about why things are so difficult, why the times will be so savage, and why we need the word of God preached so purely and so truly and so consistently. He, he, he puts the first ones I'll, I'll put just, he says that your, the soul uh, will love several things. It says lovers of self. That's a big deal. 
lovers of self. When you love yourself more than everybody else around you, you will be a wicked person. When you love yourself more than you love your spouse, you'll probably have more than one spouse through the course of your life. When you love yourself uh, uh, more uh, uh, than, than, than the people around you, then the way that you will view them, the way that you will live, there'll be no way for you to live the way that Christ has called us to live because Christ has called us to first love God with all of our heart, my mind, our soul, and then love our neighbors as we love ourselves and then to move forward. So if you love yourself more than everyone else, then the decisions and the way that you live your life will kind of be just like, forget everybody else. Lovers of money, they say, lovers of money. And the reason that you'll love money is because money will be the thing that will allow you to do anything you want, uh, be able to go any direction you want. You won't have to worry about authority. You won't have to worry about somebody saying no. You won't have to be dependent on anybody. The more money you get, the happier you'll be, the more joy you'll have. Money is the only thing in this life that can mimic the hand of God. That's why Jesus Christ goes out of his way specifically. And only this one thing does he say, you cannot serve money and God. You cannot serve mammon and God. You can only serve God or money because if you're living for one and you're serving one and you're chasing one, then you'll never be able to serve the other one. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure specifically in contrast to being lovers of God meaning that you will love pleasure, that you, you, you will be so infatuated with what pleases yourself that you will commit the, the mass majority of your life to finding and doing what pleases you over what pleases God. That's heavy. Then he's got this boastful, proud, and conceited, a different little category. Boastful, proud, and conceited. All of this is about self. All of this is about you being amazing, you being awesome, you being the king and the queen of the universe, not you, the person next to you. But, but there's just this, this overarching rise up inside. I am, I am the king, I am the queen. I, this is my world, life is about me. When I walk, when I talk, there's like music on in the background. When I walk through places, all eyes are on me. Life is about me. This is proven in every uh, part of our society. This is why like when our social media, that like we can go visit the Grand Canyon, the most, one of the most beautiful places in all of the world. And when we take the picture, we just gotta put our face right in the middle of it and be like, this is what the people wanna see, me. Like this is, this is, the, this is the world. It's difficult for people to tell you what to do because you, you're, you're never wrong. It's never your fault. Uh, you, there's just this, this overwhelming sense of just, just, man, the world is lucky I'm here. You know anybody like that? It's quiet. Abusive, slanderous, brutal. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Uh, you have the inability to be content. You're never thankful for the life that you have, thankful for the things that you have, thankful for what has been given to you, thankful for your, the opportunity to be alive. You didn't create yourself, someone else, God created you. There's this inability to be thankful for anything, just entitled, unholy, unforgiving. This is a big one in our society, unable to not feed their lusts. Unable to not feed their lust, meaning this without self-control. This idea that 
that it's impossible for you. You think this is what I want. And because you are so conceited and so proud and so prideful and such a lover of self uh, and, and such a lover of pleasure that you are entitled to whatever you want, whatever your lust desires, that you just spend your life going after it, whether that be money, sex, drugs, or rock and roll, that you just spend your life going after what you want and you can't control yourself. You will live your life chasing and doing the things that you wanna do, no matter what it means for anybody else. And specifically, no love for God or good. And when you wrap all of this stuff up and you start letting this paint a picture for you about the type of society that he's talking about or the type of people group that he's talking about, there's only one real word you could label all of these things and it is the idea of self-worship. The idea of worshiping self. That life is about you. And if you really step back, and I want you to hear me, if you really step back and you look at our current society through the lens of these things and through the lens of the idea of self-worship, then everything really starts to make sense. This is why the world is so corrupt, because everybody is about worshiping themselves. This is why social media took over the planet because everybody's about worshiping self. This is why the 300 million babies have been aborted because life is about worshiping self and we're so involved with self and so worshiping of self that, that we wouldn't be dread to have the burden of a child so we just kill the child in the womb and move on so that we can continue to live our life that we have countless divorces and broken homes because people are sacrificing their families on the altars of their careers uh, because life is about them and life is about what they want and they can't control their lust. We leave our, our wives and we leave our husbands because we wanna go have sex with somebody else that's not, that's not our spouse. We abandon our children because we wanna go live our life the way we while we have so many fatherless homes. Uh, we have a significant, there's not just political division, there, there's civil war type division in our country. Like there's like, we hate them. We want to kill them. Life would be better without them. Don't, don't, not just the other side, everybody's side, that there's this deep seated division and hatred. And why wouldn't there be when we all are just worshiping ourselves? Because when you're the God of your own life, then, it, it, then, then anybody that opposes you or opposes your worldview, they got to go. If you really just start to break down the chaos that is in our society and look at it through the lens of this, it almost all of it comes back down to these very few things and this idea of self-worship. That this, that this I, I believe, is the American idol. It's not just money and it's not just materialism. It's a land of the home and the free and all whole bunch of little mini gods living their life, doing their thing. This is what Paul, he predicted. The closer we get to the end times, the closer we get to the last days as human society goes on, this is what it will begin to look like. Are you, are you bored yet? Because it started off like it was just a message about being a preacher. Remember that 15 minutes ago? Wasn't that fun? I want to read this, this scripture one more time 
But I want to add verse five to it. And I want you to, if you can, if you can, and I know you got lunch plans and I know you got things you're going to do this afternoon and I know that, but if you can, just for me, if you believe you're a Christian, just for me, I want you to, I want you to read this with me. It'll be on the screen. And I want you to just let your heart sit silent and let the spirit of God speak to you. I'm going to read this one more time, but mark this. Why do we have to have preachers who will preach the word of God in the last days? Because mark this, there will be terrible times, savage seasons in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse five, having a form of, of godliness, but denying its power. Paul isn't describing a lost culture. He's describing a lost church. He's describing you and me. Why do we need the word of God preached? Because the light of the world looks so much like the darkness of the world. Why do we need the word of God preached? Because the city on a hill can't be seen. Because the salt of the earth's lost its saltiness. Why do we need the word of God preached? Not the culture, not those who don't know Jesus, not atheists, but those who have a form of godliness, those who have a form of of a devotion to God. That they are lovers of themselves. And that they are lovers of money. And that they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That they are boastful and conceited and entitled and unholy and ungrateful and unforgiving and slanderous. Why did he stop? And, and, and have such a dramatic moment to Timothy and to every other preacher before God, before the creator, before Jesus, before the savior, before uh, the, the judge of the world. I'm, I'm, I'm charging you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading you, preach the word. Why? Because those who are sitting in the pews of the church can be described as a generation of self-worship because there'll be so few people preaching the word, because there'll be so few people who wanna really hear it, who wanna really be corrected, who wanna really get rebuked, who wanna really be encouraged to go towards the gospel and go towards Christ, that there'll be people filling the, the church week in and week out, that they will be living for themselves. The heaviness of this is, 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 it was kind of a boring message, right? The first part was to Jordan. I'm glad he's excited about being a preacher. The second part was to this horrible, sinful world. And then I got there to the end and you realized, oh wait, Paul's not describing the culture. He's describing the church. He's, he's warning Timothy, things are gonna be savage. 
because the people that sit before you week after week to hear the word of God, they're not gonna wanna hear it anymore. But you gotta preach it anyway because they're not gonna wanna be corrected. They wanna keep living their life of self-worship. They wanna keep chasing their career. They wanna keep throwing this life away and all the things that are truly valuable. They wanna keep throwing those away to chase themselves and to chase their own pleasure. They're not gonna be able to, they're gonna be so filled with their lusts and their greeds and their, their, their idolization of things. There's gonna be, it's gonna be uncontrollable. They're not gonna be able to stop themselves. having a form of godliness, but denying its power. A form of godliness denying the power of godliness is, is you have a form of a devotion to God. It's a form. It's a skeleton. There's no power. There's no meat there. When, when, you, when, you, when you have a form of it, you, you have a form of a religion under the name of Christ, but you have no desire to be conformed to the character of Christ. And you deny the power of it. Because when you, when you truly give your life to Jesus, and now this is, the, this is the stingy part. When you truly give your life to Jesus, when you truly put your faith in Christ and you begin to follow him and he becomes the Lord of your life, the spirit of God through the word of God starts to renew your mind and conform you to the character of Jesus. And so for it, for it to have a form of religion but deny the power is you're denying God's power of your life. You're denying the power of the Spirit to transform you. You're, defi uh, the, you're denying the power of the Word of God to renew your mind and to transform you. The heart of this is, is that there's these, these group of people, they, they are probably not truly saved. Many of them probably aren't. Now, I wanna be clear how I say this. You can have a form of religion. You can have some of these things in your life and be a Christian. And if you do, you need to repent of them. Turn from them this morning. But there are some people, you've grown up in the South and you've gone to church your whole life and you have a significant deep form of religion, but there has never been any power there. And if you're sitting here this morning and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life and you're coming to terms with the reality that you've probably played the religious role for years and years and years and years, but you've never truly given your life to Christ or declared him as your Lord and Savior and put your faith in him, now is the day of your salvation. Give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Don't leave here today. If you're at home, don't, don't leave this moment. But for those of you who, who you've, you've put your faith in Jesus and it's genuine and it's real, and as I was reading through that and when you realized that Paul was talking about us and you've got some of these issues in your life, repent of them this morning. Repent of them. Lay them down before the King. Lay them down before God. He will forgive you. He'll bring healing into your life and he'll begin to renew your mind and he'll change you. Let the word correct you this morning and let it be a rebuke. Let it be a warning to you, the path that you're on, the direction that you're going. 
Let it be an encouragement to you this morning to come back fully to Jesus and to lay your life down before him and to live for him and stop living for yourself. We have a calling on our lives. All of us have a calling on our lives. We have a calling to live for Jesus Christ and to love God with all of our heart, all of our minds, and all of our souls and to serve him and to worship him and to walk in this life in a way that pleases him. And that means that self has to die. Self-worship has to go. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if there's any part of this in you, lay it down before the Lord this morning. He's waiting on you. Just lay it down. And he will wrap his arms of love around you. He'll pour his kindness out on you. You will receive forgiveness and grace and move forward. Amen.